Hello, everyone. Welcome to the last episode of Cinema's Soft Underbelly for the year 2014. Your one-stop shop for all things horror-related, science fiction, fantasy, gore, galore, all that great stuff that us uh, degenerates like. Uh, Today, I'm going to continue on with the year in review. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, Well, yesterday, I I feared that I was going to get through the year in review. I I wondered if I would get through it in uh, one sitting, and I was wrong. I got through maybe half of February, and then I'm like, okay... This is uh, this is going on way too long, so we're going to just start to split this up into numerous episodes. So, today I'm going to continue on, and we'll see how far we get. Uh, and beings, I've got nothing better to do on New Year's Eve than sit around watching my sick kids. Um, then, this is the highlight of my day, so yippee for 2014 and cinema's soft underbelly. So, I believe that we left off yesterday with... Uh, just looking over my list here, I think we talked about Zombie Killing Birds, Amok Train, Zombie 4, Night of the Comet. Uh, I'm going to pick up with um, Masters of Horror, John Carpenter's Pro-Life. And Masters of Horror was an anthology-type miniseries on Showtime that featured Masters of Horror, people, directors that were really renowned for their uh, entries into the into the horror genre. Some of the directors I would approve of being on that show, and some I wouldn't so much. Uh, cough, Mick Garris, cough. Um, but John Carpenter did two episodes. One was Pro-Life, and the other one was Cigarette Burns. Both both of them were highlights of the show. And Pro-Life, even though the the uh, budget was obviously very low, the, uh, the feel of the movie was total John Carpenter, and the gore was John Carpenter, and it worked quite well. I was... Uh, I enjoyed that immensely, especially especially with the crazy ending. This thing has a nuts ending, and it almost harkens back a little bit to John Carpenter's own The Thing. And uh, so uh, Ron Perlman's in it, and it takes place at an abortion clinic, and there's a big demon creature, and that's all you need to know. Go out and watch that movie. It's great. Uh, and then there's some slop that I waded through Area 407, another one of those Netflix zero-budget pieces of junk. There was a found footage movie uh, about dinosaurs or something, and it was just terrible. D- terrible. Moving on, then we get into some good cheese, and that would be Burial Ground Nights of Terror, which I've already discussed, uh, especially on Movie Freaks, as well as Cannibal Pharaoh, uh, Umberto Lenzi's fantastic cannibal movie from 1980, one of my favorites. Um, Funhouse, Toby Hooper's uh, Funhouse from my, uh, I want to say 1980, 1980? I, I, I don't want to say for sure, uh, and I begun, because I'm not really sinking tons of time into these reviews, I'm just going to kind of brush over them real quick without all the technical details, but Funhouse was really good if you're into those old creature feature type things, other than a little bit of nudity in the beginning, I think this movie really could have been PG, PG-13, uh, but it was a fun cool movie. Uh, it gets the atmosphere of the actual funhouse down really well, and um, the creature that's stalking these kids uh, that are wandering around this funhouse uh, is really well done, and it's it's a fun little movie. I've grown to quite enjoy that movie as the years go by. I remember the first time I watched it, I'm like, oh, this is from the guy that from made Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Where's the gore? 
and where's the violent mean-spiritedness and you know that's the director trying to change things up and I can uh, I applaud him for that uh, okay uh, Black Sabbath okay the first movie I watched in January, March was Black Sabbath and that would be uh, that would be uh, the Mario Bava movie I've already talked about that on my show great movie um, Savage Planet. I, I'm going to talk about that just a little bit uh, because it's an animated movie and it would actually very much fit on to my show. In fact, now that I think about it, I should include that into my list of movies that at some point I'd like to talk about. It's a French movie, a French science fiction movie from the 70s that is one of the most trippy things you will ever, ever see. Um, it's got like the most bizarro, nightmarish imagery and... Uh, the plot is so weird, but it actually is good. It's a good French plot, but uh, it's great. It, it's totally fantasy, and you, it totally makes you feel like you are on this complete alien world. Uh, I totally dug it. Um, so, Savage Planet, great movie. Uh, watched Bad Dreams, a slasher movie from the 80s with Richard Lynch as the uh, survivor, well, the ghost of a uh, of a Jim Jones-type suicide pact, and he's stalking the one the one girl that got away. And it was a good movie. I gave it three and a half. I'm looking here. I gave it three and a half stars. Uh, Scream Factory released it on Blu-ray. And uh, it was good. It was very creepy. Good movie. Uh, Death Wish 2. I'm going to talk about that one because the version that I watched is not the version that's on Blu-ray. Death Wish 2 is the unrated version on an import DVD. And let me tell you what. This movie is hardcore um, I've never seen the R. Well, if I did see the R-rated version of this movie, it's been so many years. But the version that I've been watching a couple times, I guess, throughout the year years, is the unrated version. And there's uh, there's a couple rape scenes in this movie that are that are really, really, really tough. Uh, like it's one of those to where you're like, this is in horrible taste. Horrible taste. You know the story, Charles Bronson, blah, blah, blah. He's vigilante, his daughter gets raped, and there you go. Uh, but what sets this movie apart is the fact that it is so brutal um, from the other entries in that series. Uh, moving on, Poultry Geist. I'm not going to really spend any time on Poultry Geist. This is a trauma movie Lloyd Kaufman directed uh, because I'm going to spend more time on this movie on a future episode, because if any movie ever says Cinema Soft Underbelly, it is Troma's Poultry Geist. I love that movie. Love Poultry Geist. It's great. Uh, and and the same. And right after that, I watched the. It's called Poultry in Motion, and that would be the making of. I actually gave the making of a higher rating than the movie itself because it is a fantastic. Like I talked about on the previous episode, uh, the making of was um, every bit as good or better than the movie because it shows what really goes into making a low-budget independent movie, so very good. Okay, then I got into Riddick. I watched Riddick, Director's Cut, talked about that already. Um, Machete Kills, I watched that, and I actually, I was uh, surprisingly, that was better than I thought it would be. It bombed in the theaters, and uh, uh, I figured with all the bad reviews that this is going to be terrible, and honestly, it wasn't bad at all. It was uh, kind of a grindhousey version of of Moonraker or something, but I liked it. Uh, there's some CGI that's kind of spotty and hit and miss, but you know, for what it is, I enjoyed it. Um, it could have been uh, edited a little bit tighter. It, it felt a little bit long, but it was still fun. 
and then I rewatched The Purge. And you know, upon rewatching, I've only watched it one other time, and I watched it uh, with my co-host Derek Marner in the theater, and we were all like, "Ugh, that was meh." Upon rewatching that movie uh, with a different mindset, it really isn't uh, that bad a movie. In fact, it's it's very entertaining, um, but. You have to go in with lower expectations and know what you're getting into, but I actually enjoyed it for what it was the second time. Uh, Then I watched Curse of Chucky, and that was the latest movie from the Child's Play series, and this one here was, it's not a remake or anything like that, but you can tell they definitely have upgraded the, and updated everything, and even the way Chucky looks has been changed somewhat. I thought it worked tremendously. I really liked the movie. It's gory. Um, after the end credits, if you watch the unrated version, there is uh, a scene after the credits that is great. It's worth watching the movie just for that. It's so good. But I really liked it, and it's back to a uh, single location type setting for the most part, and I thought it worked really well. Uh, Next up, Aliens, Director's Cut on Blu-ray, one of my prized possessions on Blu-ray, not because it's worth a lot of money, but because the remastering job and the sound... Uh, the sound on that Blu-ray is just phenomenal, phenomenal, and uh, I, that's a per, that's a easy perfect five out of five for me. There is uh, there are very few, if any, science fiction movies that are like that 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 come close to that movie, and it still holds up incredibly well, even with the practical effects. Bird with the Crystal Plumage was next. Dario Argento, uh, and this was one of the. Um, the Animal Trilogy from the early 70s. I've already hit on these, so I'm not going to really spend much time on that. Terror at the Opera, I watched that right after. And why someone has not released, why a company has not released Terror at the Opera at this point on Blu-ray is really, really sad. It's not the greatest Dario Argento movie, but it is a good Giallo movie, and it has a great score and a great setting uh, with these killings happening at an opera. And uh, it's... Many consider that to be the last of the true classic Dario Argento movies, is Terror at the Opera. And I would, I, I think I would tend to agree with that. It still definitely has that feel. It's not as good as uh, Phenomena and Suspiria and Deep Red and some of those other ones, but it is still very, very watchable. Um, uh, then we get into, oh boy, there, there's so much stuff that I watch year, uh, month in, month out that uh, is total soft underbelly material. Saturn 3, which is Harvey Keitel as a badly dubbed villain on one of Saturn's moons out to kill two scientists uh, with a kind of cool robot that he builds. And it's, uh, I think Kirk Douglas is in that one. Um I think uh, it was bad. Wow. And it was a big budget bomb and it, it it didn't work, but it was fun. I enjoyed it for what it was. Story of Ricky. Uh, Story of Ricky is another one that I would, uh, I would put in the cesspool of soft underbelly material. It's, it's Kung Fu, uh, goriness. You got to see it to believe it. It's an, it's nuts. Um, Beyond Reanimator, unfortunately, this is the third one in the excellent, uh, excellent Reanimator series. This one here was terrible. I gave it. I'm looking at my list here, and I gave it one and a half stars. Jeffrey Combs, what are you, what were you thinking? It actually feels more like a ripoff of Reanimator than an actual sequel, and it was a Spanish production. And it's just everything. It just feels cheap and low rent and not good. 
And it takes place in a prison. Jeffrey Combs is in prison, and bad actors do stupid things. And I remember that the special effects were good in it, but that's, you know, very, very little reason to recommend that movie other than maybe five minutes worth of good special effects. So avoid at all costs, in my opinion. I rewatched Shocker, thinking this is going to be a good movie. I used to enjoy this one back in the '80s. Nope, I was wrong. Wes Craven. Uh, the The soundtrack to this movie is the best part of the movie because it's got some great '80s metal. Uh, everything else is um, is silly. It's overlong. Needed to be way gorier. Uh, and there is a good movie in here. And there's uh, not only is there a good movie in here. Um, but it's directed fairly well. It's just it's too long, and this type of movie, the subject matter and the storyline, screams gory, and it's not. It's it's not at all. So that's unfortunate. That was a that was a miss. Um, after I re- after I watched uh, the uh, Beyond Reanimator, I I actually got an import Blu-ray of. Reanimator and Bride of Reanimator from Germany, and they it's a 4K remaster job on on uh, one of them, and the other one has a 2K remaster job, and they are they're so good. And I watched them not back to back, but within a couple days of each other. And uh, Bride gets four stars, which is the the follow up, and then the original Reanimator gets four and a half. And uh, I'll tell you, there's a lot of times where movies drop the ball on the sequel, but Bride of Reanimator holds up extremely well uh, in in relation to the fantastic original Reanimator. It's so good. I watched Don't Torture the Duckling. That would be Lucio Fulci's early 70s Giallo. Uh, I've talked about that already. Visiting Hours, which uh, I gave it a second chance because I remember watching it the first time years ago and not really liking it, but it gets pretty high marks in the uh, in the slasher early '80s slasher genre, so I'm like, I'll give it another chance. It's on Blu-ray. It's on a double feature with Bad Dreams, so I watched it again. And if they would, if there is a good story in there again. Michael Ironside is the villain, and he's really, really good in it. It's set in a hospital. Um, the first half is great '80s slasher, and the second half just gets into it comes to a grinding halt because it turns into a crime drama with the cops. And it's almost like there's, it's just very much identity crisis. It doesn't know, does it want to be a full-on slasher movie or does it want to be a cop procedural type thing? And because of that, and uh, Deliver Us From Evil, the most recent Scott Derrickson movie did the same thing, where it's like, there's some good stuff in here, but man, there's also, right when I'm really into it, now it pulls me out with this cop procedural stuff, which I like, but only in certain uh instances and it just it didn't work it did not work for me so uh anyway visiting hours it gets a pass just because um it's got that 80s feel early 80s feel and there is some good stuff in there it's and the the villain michael ironside is he he is he's i believe he's viper from top gun but yeah he's in top gun so um then i watched slumber party massacre another roger corman quickie uh, it's basically a Halloween ripoff, but not nearly as good. 77 minutes long, so it doesn't overstay its welcome. Uh, Driller Killer is, uh, they did a sequel where the killer is a 80s hair metal guy with a drill on the end of his electric guitar, and I used to think that was the coolest thing ever, and it's not. <laughs> but the original Slumber Party Massacre, it's not bad for what it is. 
it's it's funny. I actually think that the uh, sorority house massacre movies parts one and two are are somehow worse than this, but more entertaining, uh, mainly due to the immense amount of nudity and the fact that it's even more cheesy than Slumber Party Massacre. So, um, yeah, there you go. Soft underbelly material there, folks. Trust me. Uh, I got into uh, uh, yeah, covered Brighter Reanimator. Then I watched a movie called Body Bags, and that's a great anthology movie f- with uh, Toby Hooper and uh, John Carpenter. And it was made, uh, I believe, that Showtime, I, I want to say Showtime, put this out. And they were going to make a big... Maybe I talked about this on my show. I don't know. I'm old and I forget stuff. But I, I want to say that uh, that Showtime wanted them to continue down this road, but the budget was going to be severely cut and meddling and whatever. And so this was just a one-off thing. But this was originally going to be a series where there was going to be new, almost like the Masters of Horror type thing. Well, the original uh, Body Bags that is now basically just a one-off movie is great. And Scream Factory actually released it in an unrated version, which is uh, the only way that you'll that, to watch this movie because all of the gore was cut out of the R-rated version pretty much, or the whatever version you want to call it, the rated version. And, and it's quite graphic. And it's quite funny, too. This is more of a comedy than a horror. It's, um, it's just, you got to see it. It's really good. All the stories are good. Mark Hamill's in it. Stacey Keach is in it. Uh, there's some cam- good cameos in it. Wes Craven is in it. Um, Sam Raimi has a cameo. Watch it. It's it's good. Good movie. Um, okay, Dreamcatcher. Uh, I think that that is one of the most underrated Stephen King books, uh, book adaptions out there. Uh, the movie has gotten blasted for years now, and the movie is about 10 years old. And I remember seeing this movie with my co-host, Eric Marner, in the theater and thinking, that was really good. Well, supposedly, I had been reading that, oh, the book is better, and uh, they try to cram too much stuff into into the movie to keep it close to the book. And they do. And here's where... I'll just touch on this briefly. Uh, I just got done reading Dreamcatcher, the book. And... I got to tell you, this is one instance where I actually think the movie worked better than the book. I think the book was overlong for the subject matter, and I like the fact that Dreamcatcher, the movie, was more uh, more focused on creepy aliens taking over. The book got way too metaphysical, and uh, it. I see where he was going with it, but it didn't quite work. Uh, but honestly... Everything that's in the movie uh, is in the book, and most of what's in the book is is in a way or another in the movie. And I, I really like that. I think that, that that's great that, that the movie in two hours and ten minutes captured the essence of the book quite well. Pet Cemetery did the same thing, and I, I think that this is an underrated movie. Even though some of the CGI towards the end gets a little bit shaky, that doesn't detract from the story itself. And... It's not enough to. I give the movie four stars out of five, and I I think it's I think it's a good movie, and I'm I'm still amazed that that movie doesn't get more love than uh, than it does because it holds up quite well. I think the acting is good too. Uh, so I might even I am planning by the way in 2015 I am planning to do some Stephen King episodes to where I I've read so many of his books this past year that I'd like to focus on his books now and so I would like to do maybe mini reviews or just little essays on a lot of the books that I've read especially if they tie into movies and some of them are 
most of them, the books are better than the movie, but there are a couple instances where the, the movie is actually better than the book, and this is one of those instances. So after the great Dreamcatcher movie, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to watch another Stephen King uh, movie. So I watched The Cat's Eye. Oh, boy. There we go. PG-13 and not good. Drew Barrymore's in it. The stories are meh. Uh, I believe that the stories come from Night Shift, which is a really good anthology book by Stephen King back in his earlier days, but it's watered-down PG-13 rated silliness. Uh, I can't imagine I'll ever, ever rewatch that thing. Uh, next up, Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter, and I'm not sure what happened here. This is easily the worst Hammer movie I've ever seen. It's slow, boring, almost no action or gore to speak of, and it barely makes a lick of sense. But it is something about a vampire hunter, and this was after their heyday. And this movie actually gets pretty good reviews. I'm not sure what happened. I don't know what this movie was trying to convey, but it wasn't good. Uh, And I actually imported this thing. I was so excited for this movie. I imported this from Australia on Blu-ray. And because that's the only way that you can get it at this point. And so I imported it and I'm like, oh, good. Well, it's not good. Great. Well, that was that was worth the money and the, all the time spent waiting on it. Um, so, yeah, Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter. That actually, that's actually one that pops up on Netflix occasionally. So if you want to waste an hour and a half, uh, be my guest. But you've heard it here from me. It's not good. Uh, then I watched Anguish. And that's one that I'll get into more on a later episode, because that's a great little movie. Germany put out a Blu-ray of it, the only version available to my knowledge right now, but it is a movie-within-a-movie type of scenario that is really, really nuts. Um, uh, Zelda, I'm not sure what her last name is, the, the, the little lady from Poltergeist is in this movie. And uh, there is a scene where there is a knife going into someone's eye uh, that is so nasty, so nasty. So uh, there you go, Anguish, good movie. Uh, then I wa- watched Panic Room. It was on Netflix. Uh, uh, it's David Fincher, and it's in HD, and it was great. And I forgot that Kristen Stewart was in that movie. Uh, Kristen Stewart is the horrible actress from the Twilight movies. And uh, watching this, I'm like, ah, she's not good in this either. Even even at a younger age, she's not good. But she's not the reason to watch the movie. Um, Jodie Foster is the reason to watch the movie and uh, Dwight Yoakam is the reason to watch the movie and Jared Leto is the reason to watch the movie and David Fincher is another reason to watch the movie that is a great movie in in fact in my opinion Panic Room is an underrated movie from David Fincher great great movie Uh, watch Maximum Overdrive again I was still hoping for some, some Stephen King goodness and Maximum Overdrive, I still, I watched it enough growing up that even though it's very dated and cheesy, I still enjoyed it again watching watching it uh, on, uh, on DVD. And this one here, from what I have read, this movie was heavily cut by the MPAA. And supposedly, Mr. Stephen King himself is the only person that actually has a copy of the uncut version. Uh, please release it, please. There was a ton of stuff. Even I, I read on, on somewhere George Romero. He scripted for George Romero, I believe, of all people. And George Romero's like that thing is disgusting, Steve. Um, I have to see that version. And uh, I used to live in Sarasota, where Stephen King lives. Why didn't I go and find him and ask him? Ha ha. 
so yeah, Maximum Overdrive. I quite enjoyed it. Got ACDC as the soundtrack. And I will say this. I did read the uh, the Night Shift book that that Maximum Overdrive comes from. And this is totally different than the very, very short uh, novel. Not even a novel, but the short story in that book. Uh, and the, the one that is in the book is good. But this is one where they expound on the story immensely. And I think that Maximum Overdrive would be ripe for a remake. Because there is a great story in there about machines coming to life. I think it's really cool. And there's a lot of stuff that does, I think, work in the movie. It's just kind of dated. And Emilio Estevez is in it. And he's something. Um, So, yeah, Maximum Overdrive. I I still enjoy it. Um, The Burrowers is a movie from J.T. Petty. And J.T. Petty is, uh, I think he's a good director. He's made some really, really good movies. And uh, Soft for Digging was his first one. And I urge you to watch Soft for Digging if you haven't. That is a $6,000 budgeted movie that is a, a great psychological thriller. Fantastic movie. Highly recommend it. And The Burrowers is his most technically uh, proficient movie. I haven't watched Hell, I think it's called Hellbenders. Uh his latest one, uh, but this movie here is great. It's a Western, and it's about these creatures that live underground. It's almost kind of sort of like Tremors, but deadly serious and really ugly. Uh, I thought the movie was quite good. So The Burrowers, and that's one that I, I'd i like to at some point do a, a Western horror episode, and I could see talking about that one and the fantastic and under, highly underrated Dead Birds Um and then maybe another one. I'm not sure. Uh, folks, send me an email if you think that there's a, a horror western out there that I should include on uh, on an episode because I'd like to have three per episode. So there you go. Uh, the Dead Zone, another Stephen King movie. And a decent little King adaption. Uh, nothing earth-shaking. It's still enjoyable in a quaint sort of way. Christopher Walken is, is good in it as he's the guy that wakes up after a coma and he's got a, the gift of telling the future. And, of course, it leads to political intrigue. And it was good. It was good for, um, you know, in its own dated sort of way. I enjoyed it. It's nothing fantastic. But it was worth watching. Uh, Witchboard Part 2, surprisingly entertained. I was very, uh, very entertained with that one. Actually, I think that was even better than the first one. Uh, About a Ouija board that comes to life. There you go. Yeah, uh, let's see. Lake Placid. You know, I gave I've given that movie several shots, and I flat out don't like that movie. Uh, it's seventy five minutes long, and Betty White's okay in it, but I do not understand the love that that movie gets. Oh, it's funny, and it's no, not really. Betty White's okay, I guess, but no, it's really not that good. Um, moving on, In Fear. Uh, I really thought that this was a good movie. In Fear is about this couple that gets stranded in this labyrinth of road mazes with someone chasing them. And I got to tell you, the less I say about it, the better. It's very haunting. And I think that this one, I think that it's it's on Netflix, but I got the Blu-ray of it. I gave it three and a half stars. It's a good movie. I really dug it. Um, Again, I'm going to repeat myself numerous times here. These are movies I may be talking about more in depth at a later date. I rewatched Creep Show, one of the greatest anthology movies of all time. It still holds up. The crate episode with the cool puppet from that Tom Savini made is fantastic. If you haven't watched Creep Show, what's wrong with you? It's great. Uh, the House of Exorcism is the re-edited Mario Bava movie, Lisa and the Devil, and it is 
unbelievably god awful terrible. Moving on. I don't. I don't want to spend time. I'm already running out of time, and I don't want to spend uh, time discussing crap. That's crap. Uh, Deep Star Six, which is. Uh, not as good as the Abyss by a long shot, and not as good as Leviathan by a long shot. But it's it's watchable for what it is, and uh, uh, I guess that's all I can say about that. It was it's it's okay. Um, I watched Three Hundred Rise of the Empire, Noah, um, The Living Daylights, James Bond, and then the last two I uh, the last two I had was was Dead Birds, which that'll be coming at a later date great movie and then i also watched a movie called defcon 4 and it's a canadian production and it's about a space station and the end of the world and people on the space station crash on earth it is horrible and i gotta say that um the only way that this movie would remotely be good is if uh it would be on mystery science theater it is it is so bad so avoid at all costs but anyway uh yeah so i got through uh a little bit more, but not much. <laughs> but I'm going to just keep on going. There's so much good stuff, and this is actually giving me ideas for future shows, so I'm going to keep on rolling with this in uh, in future episodes. But that is going to do it for this episode. Episode, I might add, number 50. And number 50 ends on Christmas Eve. Or Christmas Eve. See, I'm, I'm an old forgetful bastard. Um, uh, New Year's Eve, whatever, which my lame ass is sitting at home tonight. Uh, So yay for me and yay for 2014. But uh, anyway, I hope that you've enjoyed this episode and I hope that I've turned you on to one or two movies that you may not have heard of before or you might be like, oh, I should give that one a chance. Uh, I'm enjoying kind of doing the recap. I'm going to continue this and uh, I guess go from there. So a happy new year to everybody out there that listens to my show. Please feel free to check out the other show that I'm on, Movie Freaks. We're on YouTube. And then, of course, as always, check out our friends over at Cinema Sidekicks. They're on iTunes, and uh, they're doing great stuff over there. Uh, Got great episodes. Always a good time listening to them. So, anyway, that's going to do it. I hope you've enjoyed it. Happy 2014, and until 2015, I'm Eugene Weaver. Thanks for listening.